Let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's word. Father God, thank you that you do not stand far off, but you have come close to us in your Son. Thank you that you speak to us, your Holy Spirit, writing these words in our hearts. And so we pray that you would do that now. Give us your words of life. Speak what we need to hear, that we might respond rightly to you, our gracious Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin, I want you to imagine, if I were to ask you to stand up, don't worry, you can stay in these rather comfortable, plush new seats, but if I were to ask you to stand up and move in the room, (coughs) according to how much you love God, let's say that the far side of the room over here, the far side is that is yes, 100%, I love God, unqualified, 100%, that's me. Perhaps the side over here is, I don't even believe there is a God. I'm here, I'm interested to hear what you've got to say, but I... I'm not even sure there is a God. I'm, I'm a, a skeptic. I'm a doubter. Perhaps in the middle of the room, we might be, yes, I love God, but I have questions. I have doubts. I have struggles to believe. Difficulties, perhaps, that cause these. Perhaps moving to, yes, I, I, I want to love God, but I'm, I'm still not over there where, in truth, I'd love to be. That sort of unqualified, yes, I love the Lord. Just have a think for a moment. Where might you put yourself on that spectrum? This evening. In truth, I'd probably be somewhere where I'm standing now. Somewhere in the middle. Yes, I love God, but I'm not quite where I'd like to be. Ask the psalmist, where do you stand? Well, he begins with what is a really quite uncommon statement in Scripture I love the Lord. It's not often found, interestingly. Lots of other things Christians might say, believers might say, but this one is. It's almost sort of the, the, the pinnacle that is rarely found. But this psalmist says, I love the Lord. I don't know if at school, like me, sometimes your teachers would put up on the wall examples of the best student's work. You know, perhaps someone had written a really good essay or a really good test or done a really good picture. I don't know if, like me, you never found that particularly encouraging thing when other people's work was plastered on the walls and you just thought, well... I could never do that. And you just felt pathetic. It wasn't particularly encouragement. I didn't find it that. My daughter's six years old. She can draw better than I can already. My artistic skills are, are low. And so for, for things to be put on the walls to show this is, this is the gold standard, that makes me feel inferior. Let me say that's not what this psalm is here for. It's not a sort of this is the gold standard. And if you don't match up to it, well, really you're not a very good Christian, are you? Almost the opposite. The Psalms are not here just to express our emotions, but they shape our emotions. These are songs that are incorporated together into the Bible so that if we want to know how to love the Lord, well, here's a song we can use. If we want to know how to doubt in a biblical way, there are songs we can use. If we want to know how to question, grieve, lament, think about the future, there are songs we can use. And so this is a psalm written by an unnamed psalmist hundreds, thousands of years ago. But given to us, the psalmist says, look, I've got an experience in my life that has led to love for God. I want to share that, not to sort of shame anybody, but rather to say, won't you join in with me? And I think the psalmist would say, "As as we join in, as we sing along, as we pray along, might we just start moving ever so slightly in this direction 
as we join in with his prayer, might our love for God grow as we sing along. For those of us who may be here not yet persuaded of the Christian faith, perhaps still looking in, still questioning, I hope this psalm will be helpful. As you think, why, why, are those guys, why do those guys over there love, love God so much? What is it about the Christian faith? I hope in the psalm we'll see what causes love for the Lord, what the heart of the Christian faith really is. We see it for the psalmist. He says, I love the Lord. This is verse 1. For he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The psalmist's love is, is not something he has sought within his heart to find. But it's a response to what God has done. And here, hearing his voice, his cry for mercy, a response to what God has done. If our love is cold, please don't come away from here looking within, hoping somewhere inside ourselves we can find a little bit of love for God. Because that's not a good place to look, actually. How does our love for God grow? Look at him, look at what he's done. And that's how our love grows. For the psalmist, the situation is there in verse 3. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. We don't know the precise situation. No specifics given here. But if we don't know the situation, I guess many of us, all of us, know the feeling, don't we? Cords of death entangling me, anguish of the grave coming over me, overcome by distress and sorrow. For a number of reasons, these are experiences we go through in this life. Depression, ill health, bereavement, loneliness, persecution, fear for the future. Many things that cause this all-encompassing, seemingly, sorrow and anguish. And I love the honesty of the psalmist at this point. Mark alluded to this. This was precious for me when my mum was in hospital and then in the months following her death. I loved the honesty which, which the psalmist could speak of what he'd gone through. But I love the prayer that is prayed in verse 4 as well. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. That'd be a great prayer to memorize. Sometimes people memorize biblical prayers. Start with this one. It's one of the shortest, but I think it's also one of the most important. Lord, save me. I don't know if there are people in this room. You're probably all too sort of, all too kind of, um, you know, well-educated and everything to watch The Apprentice, as I do. But, um, but for those, just, you know, just kind of pretend you do. For those who watch The Apprentice, it's a TV show where um, people are competing for a job, so these two groups of, uh, they're split into two, two groups, and they each set tasks, business tasks in London. They have to perform that task, and um, from the group that loses, someone is fired each week. Alan Sugar's the boss. And so the task will be set one week. Sell teapots to tourists, and whoever sells the most, they win the task. And a project manager is assigned to each team. And basically, the buck stops at the project manager. They decide what to be, what's to be done. And it's, all, it's a little bit contrived because there's a, there's a sort of level of incompetence that, that sort of, you know, there's a bit of staging going on. But the, the project manager says, do this, and people by and large do it. But he'll say to one group, right, you go and research what colour teapots sell best. You go and design some posters. And then you guys, you need to go to the South Bank, lots of tourists there, go to the South Bank and sell, uh, sell teapots. So this group, they kind of go in the car up to the South Bank, they get there and say, right, we need to sell some teapots. 
Okay, good. Right, did he bring any teapots? No, I, I didn't bring... Did he bring any teapots? I didn't bring any teapots. And no one's brought teapots. And they said, well, no one told me... To, you know, the boardroom at the end of the day, when they've sold nothing, they said, well, no one told me to bring teapots. I wasn't... If the project manager doesn't say it, it doesn't get done. The project manager... If you're ever on The Apprentice, this is a little bit of free advice. If you go on The Apprentice and you're a project manager... You need to itemize everything you want done in minute detail or it will not happen. Don't expect any sort of thought or, or understanding the situation from those in your team. All of which is amusing until I suddenly think, don't I pray like that sometimes? Don't I pray to God as if I'm the project manager delegating to some ignorant inferior and unless I spell everything out that needs to be done well he won't do it I'm the project manager I'm the one who sees clearly I'm the one who understands both the problem and also knows the solution and so I itemize my prayers Lord this is what you need to do in this order we have a wonderful free access to God we can we can itemize things we can we can come to the Lord but there's times when we don't know what to pray there's times when we don't see clearly we don't understand the problem fully and we certainly don't know the solution. And there have been times in my life where that has led me to prayerlessness. I thought, I don't know what to pray here. And so I don't pray. I don't, do, do I pray that this happens or that that happens? Do I pray that this relationship is restored or that they move to different countries? What, what do I pray? I don't know. But in project manager mode, I think, well, I, I need to work out what to pray for or else what will God do? Well, how different the psalmist here. He's not a project manager delegating to a junior. He's, he, he's basically speaking to Alan Sugar. He's speaking to the boss, the, the one who has all the information, all the authority, all the power to do something. He said, this is a mess. Can I give this one to you, please? And the head of the company says, I'll take this. I'll, I'll sort this one out. You don't know the half of it. Leave it with me. But of course, we're not just talking about the head of a company, someone with admittedly significant wisdom and wealth. We're talking about the creator of all, creator of the heavens and the earth, who knows the end from the beginning. But more than that, who is father, who is good, who is generous, who has promised to meet the needs of his people. Every time I come back to this psalm, and it's one of my favorites, I love being reminded how to pray, not to, not to delegate to God, not to think until I can see the solution, I can't pray. But to say sometimes, Lord, this is the situation and I literally have no idea. From where I'm standing, there is no way out of this. But I'll give it to you. Lord, save me. In all the richness of what that means. The psalmist handed everything over to the Lord. And look what he discovered in verses 5 and 6. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. The Lord saved. The Lord did rescue from whatever this distress was that we don't know. And do you notice how what he learned from that was not not limited to that one situation. He learnt general truths of the Lord's character. He's gracious, righteous, full of compassion. You see, God 
again, this has just struck me this week as I've been preparing. Sometimes I, I think big. I know God deals with the big picture. Jesus dying on the cross for me, yes. But I sometimes forget he cares about little things as well. And every little, if we call them sort of little deliverances in our life, every, every little act of God's favor, that is, that is pointing to his love and compassion. It's not as if he's a God who says, yes, I will send my son to the cross for you, but no more. I mean, that, you know, I've done enough now, haven't I? Actually, every act of his grace points to his character as a God who is generous, compassionate, gracious. In my mind, this is something for about the last month or two. In my mind, every time I read gracious in the Bible, I'm trying to read generous. Because gracious sounds like a Christian word, and I don't really know what it means. Generous is the word I'm just putting in my mind. The Lord is generous. He loves to give. And so the psalmist says, verse 7, Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Or in the slightly older translation, be at rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. This was, this was the verse that first made this psalm sort of light up for me. It was when my mum when my was sick. And it was a verse I struggled with, in honesty. Can I really say this? Are these words really true for me? And I think what I've discovered is these, these are words to grow into. These are words that are, we don't need to sort of... We don't just say, yes, I'm there, 100%. No, these are words the science says, look, what, this has been my experience. Why don't, why don't, you, why don't you try this out? Why don't, you, why don't you say these words to your soul? As with me, you remember the Lord's goodness. I wonder if that doesn't increasingly bring you rest. Not, not words that we necessarily can say with utter conviction at every point in our lives, but words we, we want to grow into more and more. Be at rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. And the reason, reiterated verses 8 to 9, For you, O Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the the living. This is an all-encompassing salvation. My soul from death, my eyes from tears. And of course, this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, I hope it points to the great salvation that we celebrate. Yes, God is in the little deliverances, but all of those, and this one included, point us to the great demonstration of his love. When Jesus Christ actually didn't have tears wiped from his eyes as he was there in the garden weeping about to face the cross when he didn't have his feet delivered from stumbling but he stumbled with a heavy load not just of the cross beam of the cross but of my sin and your sin on his shoulders as he went to the cross he didn't look forward to life in the land of the living but death for us so that we might be delivered the psalmist knew something of the Lord's deliverance how much more for us this side of the cross do we know that that big deliverance but that also shows his care in all the little deliverances, the the things we face day to day as well. Well, this would be a great place to end the psalm. Think songwriters, you think, great, stop there, you're on a high, you deliver myself from death, this is the place to end. But briefly we'll carry on because the psalmist continues, there's great realism here. You've delivered my soul from death, you've delivered me, Lord, this song of praise, yet... There's still affliction 
there's still trouble in this life. The psalmist is realistic. The Bible is realistic. The Lord's love and his deliverance doesn't mean that everything in this life is as we would like. And so he can still say, verse 10, I'm greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone's a liar. Perhaps for him it was enemies were the problem. And so there's ongoing affliction. But there's ongoing celebration as well. Verses 13 and 14, I will lift up, sorry, verse 12. What shall I return to the Lord for his goodness to me? How do I respond? Not pay back. There's no paying back here. But when the Lord has done all this for me, what is my response? Well, I'll lift up the cup of salvation. I'll call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows. That was a ceremony to be at in the Old Testament. As when the Lord had delivered someone, they went to the temple. They sacrificed all these animals. And then they feasted together and praised God for all he'd done. It was a celebration. What, what can we do in response to the Lord has done to us? Well, celebrate it. Revel in it. Remember it. I don't know if you know the film Saving Private Ryan, where there's, um, uh, Private Ryan is one of four brothers. Three are, three are killed in action. And so the American authorities think, we need to save Private Ryan. We need to get this one brother back. And so the whole film um, is based around trying to rescue this one private. And I think if I remember right, it's, um, it's Captain Miller. It leads this team to go and rescue him. At great cost to so many people. And at the end of the final battle scene, I think, um, I think Captain Miller is, um, is there with Private Ryan. Um, and he's sort of dying breath. He says to Pri- Private Ryan, now, Private, earn this. Earn this. And we see a scene later in the film as, as Private Ryan is there at Miller's grave saying, I hope I've managed to live up to all the sacrifice that was done for me. And it's this, this huge weight as uh, he is to live in such a way that he earns all the sacrifice of these men. And sadly, that sometimes gives us an illustration for how we respond to what the Lord has done. Live now in such a way that you earn what he's done. And you think, me? L- live in such a way that justifies the cross? How, how could that be? But actually here, what's the response? Not earn it, not give anything back, but take. Take the cup of salvation. If we say to the Lord, how shall I respond to your goodness? He says, celebrate it. Remember it. Enjoy it. Dwell on it. Talk to one another about it. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly I'm your servant, he says. He understands the Lord's character. He understands the Lord's care. He understands that the Lord's people are precious to him. And that's great comfort to us. Again, we think this side of the cross, or rather in the New Testament, Jesus Christ weeping at the grave of Lazarus, just exemplifying this and care not just for the big things, but for individuals. God's people matter to him. And so the psalm ends as it began with praise, with celebrating together, a return to joy. God's actions in the past, for this psalmist, deliverance of some kind, we don't know what. These actions point to the Lord's character and give him confidence for the future. And so if we think back to the start with where are we standing in the room? Perhaps over there, sceptical, not sure if there is a God, just looking in, wanting to know more. Well, I, I hope we see why Christians, why this church gather week by week 
not a social club, not just a group of people who happen to like one another, but a response to what the Lord has done. People who know the Lord's goodness because they have seen, yes, lots of little stories of his grace, but the great story of giving himself for his people. That's why Christians love God. Because of what he's done. And for those of us here who are Christians, but perhaps not climbing the wall over there as we'd like to be. For those of us who think, yes, I love God, but maybe it's just me, but my heart is often cold. Sometimes it is just a sort of an apathy. Sometimes in tough times, it's, a, it's that niggling doubt or the pain that just seems to dull my love. I'd like to move that way, but I don't know how. The psalmist says, don't, don't look within. Don't introspect to try and drudge up some love. He says, no, sing along with me. Uh, join in with me remembering the Lord's actions in the past. I hope in this church there'll be stories of God's grace, stories of his kindness that may seem little and insignificant, but all point to his character, which is good and gracious. Join in remembering No matter what life throws at us, the cross of Jesus Christ, that guarantee of his love, not the guarantee of an easy life, we follow a crucified then risen saviour, but the guarantee of his love and commitment to never leave his people. Focus on those things, the psalmist says. Sing along with me in those things. Go over them in your mind and see if as you do, as you take a focus off yourself and onto God, see if... You're not moving. Your love is not growing. I love there's a Stuart Townend uh, hymn. I think it's called O Church Arise. And uh, the last part of the last verse finishes with these words. It says, As saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace, we hear their calls and hunger for the day when with them we stand in glory. And that's what the psalmist is saying. How do we grow our love for God? Remember what he's done. Tell each other the stories. Celebrate Jesus on the cross. Let me pray. I'll pray. Father, thank you that you don't rebuke us for lack of love, but you give us a model here to follow. You are tender towards your children. You are compassionate when we doubt. You are gracious when we stumble. You lift us up when we fall. Thank you for the many signs of your grace in our lives. Thank you for the great sign of your generosity, Jesus Christ on the cross. We do pray for all of us here, whether we're investigating the Christian faith, perhaps some of us struggling in different ways, doubting, fearful. You would help us to understand what brings about love for you. And that is your goodness and your character. Would you know that? Would you make that known to us? Through your word we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Matt, we want to say a big thank you to coming and uh, teaching us tonight and sharing some of your experience of how you've clung to God through some of the experiences you've been through. Um, I hope today's been helpful for us all. Um, I just want to encourage you. This morning we were just thinking that challenge that Jesus puts to each of us. Am I enough for you? And I just want to encourage you to rest in God this week, to enjoy the grace that he gives you, uh, and to really think about those words. And then building on this morning into tonight, as we stand today with all that's ahead, 
we do that with great confidence because as Matt shared, we look back to what he has done and that allows us to stand today and look forward, not knowing what's ahead, but trusting that God does. So let's go out as his church this week. Let's rest in his grace and let's trust him with all that's ahead. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that perhaps like this psalmist, we sometimes struggle to love you when we go through difficult times. But Lord, where we love you a little, please help us to love you a bit more. We thank you that it's your grace that enables us to love you. Please free us from looking within ourselves to dredge up that love. Help us instead to look back to the cross of all the love that you have shown and demonstrated, the penalty that you paid in our place. And then help us to stand today, looking into the future, not knowing what is coming, but knowing that you do. We thank you for this psalm and we pray that our souls would be at rest, for the Lord has been good to us. Amen.